Sometimes I look back at those early days when I first had come to a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was in my early 20s, and some of the most moving times and um, compelling times I had with God in his word was uh, uh, responding to the recommendation of my pastor that I just take my time and read through the four Gospels repeatedly, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what was so moving to me was each time I would come to one of those accounts where instead of the emphasis being on the great multitudes or the crowds that that followed and surrounded Jesus, but it was those moments when he stepped aside and gave personal attention to just one person or maybe two people. And I was always just captivated when I would pause because I was a new Christian and I had come to faith in him and it was as though I was inserted into the text of Scripture and I found myself in the story. Whether I was the leper with my cloak over me and my gnarly hands and sores uh, being ostracized and from the crowd and the people and society, and here is this one who would actually take time with me. Or I was uh, somebody who lived in the darkness and shadows of shame and guilt because of my own wretchedness and my own sin, and no one understood that like Jesus did. No one understood the depths of my own heart like he did. And so each time I would come to a text, I would feel so overwhelmed. And it's forced me to realize that even though Christ is calling out a people to himself and has been now for 2,000 years as the gospel's gone forth into the world and We know what the result of that powerful message is going to be as people are called to faith in him. There's a multitude that's going to be before God, a multitude that no one can number. Um, So as you look at the depiction on the screen and you see that mass of people, um, it's so many times more than what is depicted in that little picture. But it's important to remember that every, just think of it, as you look up at the screen, every single person has their own unique story to tell of how that encounter with Jesus Christ changed their heart, changed their life, and, you, and restored them to relationship with God. Every single person So though there is a multitude no one can number, think of what's involved, that Christ himself has a personal, intimate encounter with every single blood-bought, redeemed child of God. And if you're there on that great day and you find yourself in heaven celebrating with the multitude, it will be because you have 
a unique story of how God, how, how Christ himself came to you and opened your heart to himself and drew you into relationship with him. And I say all of this because as much as I'm a, uh, a defender of attending church, I like the fact that we attend, obviously, and I like that we involve ourselves with fellow believers and attend a home group or fellowship with others. I'm glad for that. But it's possible to even find yourself in a crowd of believers and yourself not be one. Yourself benefiting, perhaps, from the friendliness and the warmth of Christian people. They tend to be fairly nice people. Not all of them, but most of them are. You know? And you can benefit from the social interaction and benefit from, from that, of course. But is it possible to be in a crowd and not know him? Now, some 18 years ago, maybe close to 20 years ago, right here in this sanctuary, a couple came and attended our church for the first time. And I was preaching uh, uh, just a very simple passage of Scripture. And uh, I'll show it to you in a little bit. But Jesus asked a question. He asked a single question in the text of Scripture. And the man who was attending that morning, who had been involved in a church for about eight years, uh, he had taught Sunday school, taught a group of kids Bible lessons, you know, that were prepared, and he would follow the lesson and teach them. And he was involved in this church, and over time, uh, something had happened, and they had left that church, and they hadn't attended for some time six or eight months. And then one Sunday morning, they decided, well, we haven't been in church for a long time. Let's go. And so they showed up here. And everything that was said that day, all the singing, the offering prayer, everything that went on that they listened to, the one single thing in that service that was tailor-made for them was a question that Jesus asked. And um, I'll tell you more about it in a few moments. I'll leave you hanging for a minute. Today we are looking at a really simple story found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew, chapter 20. We are in, in between series. We finished our, our series in Philippians. And I just found myself back in the Gospels wanting to just enjoy and drink in some of those rich encounters that Christ had with people that for the most part had been forgotten. They, they felt marginalized, ostracized. They didn't fit in. They had problems that made them misfits. And the Lord is the specialist of reaching into the lives of misfits like us and drawing us out into himself. So let's read the passage to start with. You have it on the screen. And the title of this morning's message is Life's Single Greatest Opportunity. Verse 29, 
As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, a multitude, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? There's the question. What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. And immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, just moments ago we were singing this beautiful little chorus. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Our Father, we know that the opening of the eyes is supernatural. We know that the regaining of sight when lost is such a momentous event in the life of someone who's blind. And yet, our Father, we know in your word so many places that we are blinded spiritually. We are blinded in heart. We are blinded to who Jesus Christ really is and what he is able to do in our lives. God, here we are, and you know every person gathered here today. You know our condition, our state of heart, and you know our relationship or lack thereof with you. And we pray in the next few moments as we look at this beautiful and simple story of the great heart and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you might do something unexpected in someone's life. That it will not be church as usual. That it will not be a run-of-the-mill Sunday for them. But God, what only you could do, you would do, in opening their spiritual eyes and awakening them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would do this for your great glory and your honor and for, <laughs> for mercy's sake. Draw them to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the passage before us, 
I'm, I've chosen to get right to it. Uh, to take such a simple story and turn it into five questions that I want to ask you this morning. I want you to be engaged with God this morning. Be open to him speaking to your own heart this morning. And allow him that welcoming that he wants in your heart and life. And as you hear these six questions, don't be applying them to someone else. Just apply them to yourself. The first question that we want to ask is simply this. Has the opportunity of a lifetime come to you? The opportunity of a lifetime. You know, I was reading, I came across this little piece of poetry. It's, I don't know who the author is. The author's unknown. And it's not classic at all. It's kind of homespun, down-to-earth poetry. But it struck me. Because our time in this world is marked by many opportunities. Some opportunities are without a lot of consequence, while others are quite significant. And oh, how time goes by. And so the poet wrote these simple words. When I was a child, I laughed and wept. Time crept. When, as a youth, I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still, I daily grew, time flew. Soon, I shall be traveling on, time gone. What a simple poem, and yet fairly profound from the perspective of an older poet writing kind of a homespun, folksy little poem, time gone. And in our lifetimes, there are a number of occasions, perhaps, where we are granted the opportunity of a lifetime, if we would only but recognize it. This morning might be that for you. Has the opportunity of a lifetime come to you? Look at verse 29 and 30 again. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Now pause for just a moment. What's happening in this text is that the Lord Jesus Christ is leaving Jericho heading for Jerusalem, which is 3,200 and something feet higher than Jericho. It's an uphill climb. And he was fulfilling what the Old Testament said when it's, it wrote of him, he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. If you notice, the very next chapter is the triumphal entry. So what's happening here is Jesus is being followed by this large crowd. And he is on his way to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry and then less than a week before the crucifixion he would endure. 
His mind was occupied with where he was going and what he needed to do. The hour had come. And yet, here's these two blind men on the roadside trying to get his attention. And I'm just sure that in their minds, they were thinking, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. We've been hearing about him. The word has spread throughout Judea and Samaria and all Israel about him. Many are wondering if he is the Messiah, if he is the Christ. Is he the promised one? And in their minds, being blind, these guys were not mobile. They couldn't follow. They couldn't go from place to place waiting for an opportunity. These guys are blind. They barely get about. Their whole life was probably from that roadside or a couple spots where they sat begging from home to there and back and forth was the monotony of their blinded lives. And the opportunity of a lifetime had come. And so there in verse 29 and 30, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing, and here are the words, Jesus was passing by. That's it. Jesus was passing by. Every person in this room today who knows Christ in a saving way. There was a moment in your life when Jesus was passing by. And for some who may be here today, this may be the day that he is passing by. The, the opportunity of a lifetime. And these guys were engaged, weren't they? They were not going to be put off. They didn't care what family members thought of the fact that they were going to church. They didn't care what co-workers at work, how much they mocked or scoffed or poked fun at them because they're religious and they go to church. They didn't care at all. They knew they needed to peel out. They needed to be cut out from the herd, cut out from the crowd of the unbelieving world and cry out, to the one who was passing by. He had the answers. He had what they needed. Jesus was passing by. The second question is, has the encounter that tops, exceeds, surpasses all others come to you? Has that encounter happened in your own life? Look at verse 31. The crowd sternly warned them told them to be quiet, but they persisted. And the notion there is that they were not going to be unheard. They didn't care the ruckus of the crowd. They didn't care about the commotion. They didn't care whether they were being told that they were somehow a nuisance and that the master had bigger fish to fry than you two blind beggars. The Son of God is on his way to Jerusalem to carry out the eternal redemptive purpose of God in going to the cross. They didn't care. 
They didn't understand all that. They just knew they needed him, and he was passing by. And so they just persisted, didn't they? In fact, they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the, the term, the title Son of David is prophetic, and it is a title for the Christ, the Chosen One, the Messiah, the Coming One that was promised in the Old Testament. And that alone would be enough for the Lord to realize these two are addressing me with faith and understanding, a belief that I am the One. So this encounter that tops all others Have you had that encounter with him? Have you come into a personal encounter with Christ? Now listen, I understand. The Bible is crucial. It's God's revelation and truth to us. Plumbing from the Bible, good, sound teaching and doctrine is important. We have a doctrinal statement as a community church. But the church and religion and the Bible and doctrine and songs, none of that died on the cross for us. A person died on that cross. So you can be involved with the externals and the trappings and the paraphernalia around Christ without having an encounter with Christ. And every soul must have that encounter or they are are not saved. They are not rescued. They cannot sing amazing grace with integrity. I once was lost, but now am found. Was what? Was blind, but now what? I see. You see, you can't sing that with integrity unless you've had that encounter with him. So has the opportunity of a lifetime come to you, Jesus passing by? Has the encounter that tops all others come to you? Look there at verse 31. The crowd sternly warned them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. He stopped and didn't just stop. He called them to himself. That's what he does with every person that comes to know him. When he's passing by, he stops. He turns his attention upon you, and then he calls you. Imagine the hope. The other text in, I think it's Mark's gospel, says one of them hopped up and threw off his cloak and was just running, probably bumping into the crowd, trying to get to him. And then third question is, has the interview that opens the heart come to you? In verse 32, We read, and Jesus stopped and called them. And then here's the interview. Here's the question. He said to them, what 
do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Can I ask you something? Do you really think Jesus asked that question because he really had no clue what they wanted? In fact, does he ever ask a question because he is deficient of information? Well, then why does he ask you and me a question? So we can know ourselves. So we can become self-aware of our need, right? And though these men are, spirit, are, are blind physically, the greatest blindness in all the world, and that has always been in the world, is blindness of heart, blindness of soul, blindness of the spirit. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. When he says, shall not walk in darkness, what's he implying? He doesn't mean literal darkness as if we closed all the shades and turned off the lights. He's talking about a different kind of darkness, spiritual darkness. And he is saying that the whole world is in darkness. They're blind, in other words, just like these two men by the side of the road. And so it's perfectly appropriate for him to ask you, what do you want me to do for you? To answer by saying, I'm blind spiritually, Lord. Open my eyes to know you, to turn to you, to trust you, to come into this saving relationship with you. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to do for you. Number four, the fourth of our questions is, has the answer that must be given come from you? When he looks into your soul and asks you, what do you want me to do for you, how do you answer? Remember I said that great crowd Every single one in that crowd has a unique pers personal story to tell of his mercy, of his grace, of his forgiveness. Do you see what we're doing here today? By the way, in addition to being an evangelistic message, this is also equipping my brothers and sisters. We're to be equipped, right? Equipped to witness. Look at this. This is a simple historic record of an account of Jesus caring for two blind men. Goodness, it's only six verses long, and yet it is loaded with evangelistic substance. And so if you're a believer, you shouldn't be listening to this message yawning, going, well, I was saved years ago. I can see where this message is going. Stop that. This is God's truth and God's word, and he wants to equip all of us in sharing with others. And even a simple story like this can be what God uses. 
You know the man I told you about that came to church? He listened to the message. He heard the question, what do you want me to do for you? And the church service ended, and I figured it was all over. And by 3 o'clock that afternoon, he phoned me at my home. And he said, Pastor, we were in church for the first time today. And we had been away from church for six or eight months, but we were very involved in the church we were at before. And he said, but today, when you preach that message, that question from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? He said, I could not shake it. I tried to ignore it. I tried to get away from it. I tried to distract myself from it. But those words were so full of power and life. And I just, I was just in encased in that question. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, finally, a half an hour ago, I turned off the TV and I got up and went to the bedroom and closed the door. And he said, I found myself sobbing. And I got on my knees next to my bed and I said, Jesus, I hear you. I need your forgiveness. I want a new start. And I'm as blind as those men along the roadside. Would you, would you receive me? Would you show mercy to me? Would you forgive me? And he wept on his bedside. And a half hour later called me to tell me, I just met Jesus. He was passing by during that church service and he followed me home. <laughs> he wouldn't let me off the hook. So have you given him the answer? You think he doesn't already? No, I read this little story. You'll like this little story. It's very short. But it was found in, in Decision Magazine years ago, uh, written by Mark Strand. And he tells... He tells of his first year in college. And his dad and mom had left their pickup truck uh, for him to use. And while he was using it, he crumpled in the passenger side of the door. Uh, and when his dad returned home and saw, saw the truck, his son denied knowing anything about the accident. And so, Miss, and so Mr. Strand began to ask about it, and he asked, he asked one of the, the workers that worked on the farm there if he knew anything about it, and he said, I think I did it. I was going past it with the, uh, one of the farm equipment being pulled behind the tractor, and I heard a noise. I didn't look back, but I'll bet that's what happened. I bet I did it. And so the son, thinking he was off the hook, he just kept quiet. Well, weeks went on, and it was torturous for his conscience. And he re repeatedly considered telling his dad the story, and he was afraid. And then finally, at the meal table, he impulsively blurted out, Dad, there's something I need to tell you. 
And he said, yes, go ahead. And he said, you know the pickup door? It was me. I'm the one that crunched it in. And then he writes this. Dad looked at me, and I looked back at him the first eye contact I'd had for a couple weeks as our eyes met. And to my utter disbelief, he said to me, I know. And then there was silence, which he says seemed like ours. And then his dad simply said, let's go get something to eat. And he got up, put his arm around him, and they went off to have some more to eat. And he said, my dad, as we walked away together, never mentioned it again. And we never have since. His dad knew. When Jesus asks you, what do you want me to do for you? Do you really think he doesn't know what the answer is? Really? He knows. Well, the last question is simply this. Has the miracle of his touch come to you? Verse 34. And this is rather significant, by the way. It says, moved with compassion. That's one word. And I've probably shared this Greek word with you before, but it's one of my favorites. And I don't throw Greek around much because I don't want you to think I'm a scholar. I'm not. But this word is not a hallmark word. This is the word splankna. You like that? Anybody want to say it? Splankna. Give it to me, Kai. Splankna. You got it. Splankna is the word for moved with compassion. You know what it is? Intestines. So when it says Jesus heard their cries, saw their desperation, saw them overcoming the crowd, saw them refusing to be quiet, pleading with him, crying out to him, Lord, we need you. When he saw that, he was moved in his guts. That's why I say it's, it's not a sweet little hallmark moment where you spray a little perfume on it and seal it up and send it to a friend. This is gutsy stuff. He sees their suffering. He knows the kind of lives they've lived, how outcast they feel, how, how snubbed and marginalized and without value they feel on the inside. And as he's passing by, he stops. He calls them to himself asked them a question, and then moved in his intestines. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. 
What a change takes place in a person's life when they are touched by Christ. You know I'm using that metaphorically, right? Years ago, we had a man who came here a number of times, and he had come to our first church so 40, 40 years ago. And uh, Keith Foster used to come, and he had this big, booming, baritone voice. And he was fun to listen to, and his voice just, you know, I would just give a left arm for that voice. But he would just fill the room with his voice. But there was a song that we always wanted him to sing, and it was taken from this poem. And I know many of you have heard it, but just enjoy it again in case you don't remember. It's the story of an old violin. And it goes like this. "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while." to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good fellows, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar, then. Two? Only two. Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice. Going for three, but no. From the room far back, an elderly gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust off the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet, as the caroling angels sing. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who will make it two? Two thousand, and who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, he said. And then the people cheered, but some of them cried. We don't quite understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioneered cheap to the thoughtless crowd much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can they quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Anybody here that can testify that the touch of the master's hand makes a difference? Mm. 
So as we think about this simple story, two men along the roadside, a great crowd and multitude of people following Christ, Jesus is passing by and they learn of it and begin to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stops, calls them. What do you want me to do for you? And moved with compassion, he touched their eyes and they regained their sight and they followed him. What a story, so simple and yet so filled with substance and with meaning. The miracle of his touch. Kathy's going to come up for a song. And like I said, you know, years ago, as a brand new Christian, these kinds of stories, I just unraveled when I read them because I could see myself in the story. I was the blind man alongside the road. How about you? Aren't you glad he was passing by? And aren't you glad that when you lifted your voice, he didn't ignore you? Or join the crowd, the careless, callous, cold crowd, and just rebuffed you and went on by? He didn't, did he? No. Because he's accessible and available to every soul that will cry out to him. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And those who put their faith in him will not be disappointed. That's God's promise. Aren't you grateful? Yeah. Mm -hmm.